0: We've been speaking on the role of the Holy Spirit the last few weeks, and I want to talk today about the purpose. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the basic elements of it. as We're taking this one step at a time. We're going very slow here. We're not rushing through this. We're going very slow. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that um, the church today... Is not what the norm, what the norm was of the early church, the early church people got saved, they got baptized in water, and they got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and all of them exercised the gifts it wasn 't just a few, all of them it was for everybody and that 's not the norm today. Something happened after a few hundred years after that that the church changed and the direction changed, and it wasn't until basically in the early 1900s that the um, Pentecostal movement started up again. That's not new, by the way. It's not a new work. It is what it used to be, and now it's come back into its fullness. It's not new. It, it's not a new thing. It's not a new idea that started in Isuzu Street. It's, the, it's what it was. So the early church operated that, that way in a regular basis, and we know that because... Paul had to give a very um, good teaching on the proper use of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is all about how to use the gifts properly. If they weren't being used by everyone, there would have been no reason for that instruction. He didn't instruct them, encouraging them to use the gifts. What he said was, this is how you use it in an orderly fashion because it was used so much. It was so overly used, it was being abused or being done improperly and it caused confusion so he was bringing order to the church. So it was very clear. And then the, the next week we talked about two extreme teachings. The two extremes of teaching on the Holy Spirit and one extreme is that the um, speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And It ceased when the last writer of the Bible died the need for the Holy Spirit went away with that because the Bible was written and the completeness that they talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 and 9, they've used that verse basically to say that the Holy Spirit is no longer necessary for today because of this verse. Let me read it to you. Verse uh, 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Love never fails. That's true. Amen. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So they've t- th- that verse has been, has been taken to say that completeness comes, they're defining completeness as the Bible being written, and therefore the, the role of the Holy Spirit to inspire men to write and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to speak from the Holy Spirit is no longer necessary because we're complete in the Bible. But that's not truly what that verse means. That completeness means when we are in heaven. When we finally get to heaven and we're with God face to face, there is no longer a requirement to speak in tongues because I don't have to because I'm right there between me and God. And we're going to talk about tongues and we're going to talk about the purpose of tongues in weeks to come and the the different forms of tongues, private and public, and that's coming. But the point is, is that um, the prophecies, yes, they will cease then. And speaking in tongues will cease then they're saying that if where knowledge is present, it will pass away. But knowledge is not passed away now. We are increasing in our knowledge evermore. Our technology is increasing evermore. So if knowledge is increasing yet, how can they define tongues and prophecies not to increase? How can they they take one area here to say where knowledge clearly is increasing, but yet tongues and prophecies won't. That's one extreme. The other extreme where we as Pentecostals sometimes fall on, and this is also wrong, and that is that not everybody that's saved has to speak in tongues. Now, I'm just just saying that speaking in tongues is not a proof of your salvation. You're saved before you ever speak in tongues. The tongues thing is only an evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, we can get too extreme the other way to think, well, You have to speak in tongues before you're saved and before you go to heaven. And that's not true. You're going to go to heaven whether you're speaking in tongues or not. I want you to know that. And now the, the balance, what we have to find, is that what the instruction of the Word still is, though, is that we are to still seek the gifts. All right? Even though you're saved before you speak in tongues, we're still instructed to progress and to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're not at all... Basing our salvation upon that. I want everybody to be clear on that. But at the same time, we're instructed, though, to seek it. Because there comes a purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Then what's the purpose, then, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose of it? Well, Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So from this verse, we see two simple reasons of why the Holy Spirit is given. We will receive power. We will receive power. And then number two, to be witnesses for Christ. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. Basically, beginning in our backyard. Jerusalem means our backyard. And I've heard it said that the biggest barrier to missions for for many people is the fence between them and their neighbor. That in many cases is the biggest barrier to missions because that's where it starts. It starts at home. So let's look at these two purposes, power and to be witnesses. Let's look at power first. Now, to receive power. Now, let's just recognize power is intimidating. For one to receive power or to think they are to receive power is enough to scare so many people away from this. Because many of us would rather just have the name and not the power. Because power brings with it a suggestion of action. Um, many people want to experience the result of salvation and going to heaven and, 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 and the victorious life that salvation brings. We want the name of it, but sometimes we're, very, we're unwilling to live up to what it means to be it. And so we just want the name, but we really don't want the power because the power brings the reality of God's life living through us. Power brings life to the reality of a person's desire for saying, God, I'm all in. I'm all in here, and I will submit and I will surrender all of myself to receive your power. Not my power, but your power. And that brings a form of action to the formality of a person's salvation experience. And sometimes action is intimidating to people. And they'll say, no, I don't want the action part, I just want the salvation part. So to receive power brings accountability to us that are we using the power properly and wisely? It brings an accountability factor. Power means that someone may have to do something with that power. If power is given, there may be a requirement or maybe a result of what that power should be used for. And this can be intimidating to people. And, from, for, and as a result, some people, many people, may dr- dr- draw away from it or fall away from that. They don't want that. Now, some others may misinterpret what this power means, and thus they miss the whole point as well. So can I just say right now that a Holy Spirit-filled person is not Superman. You don't just all of a sudden walk into a phone booth like Clark Kent, speak in tongues, rip your shirt off and have a big S on your shirt and all of a sudden you can fly. Or you can leap over a tall building with a single bound. Or you can stop a speeding locomotive. Or you can run faster than a speeding bullet. No. That's not the power we're talking about. So don't misinterpret the power of it either. That doesn't mean that Miracles don't happen because they do happen. We're seeing them right here amongst us. Miracles of God's grace and His power are evident in our body. And that's great and that's awesome. So then what is this power defined and what is it used for? Well, when we look at the remaining portion of the passage, we see the power is to be used to preach the gospel in truth, in truth to Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. In summary, a a summary nutshell, the power is not to bring glory to oneself by making them something special, but to ignite a power within a person to glorify Christ and thus make Christ known to the world. The power of the Holy Spirit is not not about making me something special. If that's my intent, I'm I'm misintended. It's not about me, it's about letting Christ be powerful in me. It's about the, pro- the power of the Holy Spirit in me. It's about Jesus being evident. We talked about it in the Sunday school class today. Janine talked about we are to be Jesus to the world. How do they see Jesus in me? When I allow the Holy Spirit to empower me and to come upon me, Jesus comes out of me. That's the power we're talking about. That's the power that draws people. Because they want something. People are hungry. They're crying out for help, and they don't know how to ask for it. They don't know what to ask for. But when a powerful person comes into their life with the power of the Holy Spirit, walks by them, it's like Jesus walking through that crowd, and that lady that had that issue of blood for years and years and years, she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and what happens? Power flows through Jesus' body out that hem of the garment into that woman, and she's healed, and Jesus knows it. He said, wait, who touched me? He felt the power leave his body, and that's the power we're talking about. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the power of Mike Way. It's not the power of Calvin. It's not the power of Herman. Even though those are powerful men, that power doesn't compare to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power we're looking at. That's the power that we want. Now, does this mean that a person that hasn't received the baptism has no power? No, I'm not saying that. We all have natural giftings. We all have natural giftings. We're gifted naturally. Some are more gifted in some areas than others. I know a lot of men that are really gifted in speak. And they can talk and they can speak a lot better than I can and a lot more fluently. And they're smarter and they're more intelligent, all that stuff. That's great. And, th- and we can operate that way as well. But, but, that's, but the person that, that isn't gifted that way, he can be gifted that way supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then just imagine how much more powerfully the person that is naturally gifted that we would be gifted if he was exercising in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a power there. Now, here's an example. Peter. We often think of Peter as being the ultimate disciple. I mean, when you think of Peter, what do you think about? The rock. He was the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon that rock. But let's look at Peter's life for a minute. When Peter, prior to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, prior to the day of Pentecost, Peter was a very... Compulsive man, but he didn't follow through on much of anything. He was he was um, he was a coward. He was a blowhard. He would say things that would come to his mind with ha- and have nothing to back it up with. I mean, we can see the examples. He was the one that Jesus rebuked, because and he said, "Get thee behind me, Satan," because. Peter said some things that he had no basis to say about Jesus having to die and so forth. He was the one that said, I would die for Jesus. And then a few hours later we know the story of how Peter denied him three times. That's the Peter that I associate with. <laughs> that's the humanity of Peter because that's what we all are in many ways. In our human strength, that's about as, as, as good as we can get. Way to break the chair, Riley. Man, that's power right there. He just blew the arm right off that chair. <laughs> Amen. Yet we find Peter on the day of Pentecost, we find Peter on the day of Pentecost transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit was poured out on those in the upper room that day. And Peter was a much needed recipient because Peter was a fearful man. Yes, he had been reinstated by Christ, yes, he was saved. Yes, he was going to heaven. All that stuff was true. But he didn't have the power that came to him until the Holy Spirit fell on him and and, and endued him with power. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. Read with me. Open your Bible, if you will. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Follow fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's prophesying now. He's going to the Old Testament here. The prophet Joel said this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. "...your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And then he goes on for the rest of the chapter to preach an amazing salvation message. And then here's the results of it. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, just a little bit further down in that same chapter. When the people heard this, Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That is you and I today. That prophecy is for you and I today. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Talk about power. Talk about power that came into a man that all of a sudden could boldly proclaim the gospel without fear. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's the power we're talking about, the power to be witnesses. What does it mean when Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes on you? What does it mean when Jesus says that? When Jesus says, I will baptize you in the, in the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is Jesus speaking now. Jesus had died, resurrected, and now he's in his glorious body and he's, in his... He's revealing himself to his, to his disciples on earth. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Understand the word here. He didn't give them a suggestion. He gave them a command. Jesus commanded people that were already saved people that already had the fullness of salvation in their life because prior to this, Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and they were saved people. But now he says, I'm commanding you. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard about me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer now. Jesus is going to baptize these men in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was telling them that there was an experience waiting for them that was going to go above and beyond the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that they already had. They already had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them because Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit didn't leave them so that Jesus could give it back to them. No, he said, I'm giving you an anointing. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, the same Holy Spirit, but in another level of power. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary. They had not strength of their own for it, nor wisdom, nor courage enough. They were naturally of the weak and foolish things of the world. They did not appear as witnesses for Christ upon his trial, neither as yet were they able. These were the men that feared men when Jesus was on trial for his life. These men ran. They all ran away. They were fearful for their life. But then he goes on, But you shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. So it may read, Shall it be animated and actuated by a better spirit than your own? You shall have power to preach the gospel and to prove it out of the scriptures and to confirm it by both miracles and by sufferings. Man, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people gives them more than what they already have that indwells them. It's the same spirit supercharged. It 's the same spirit in higher measure, the same spirit that already lives in them is coming upon them now for works, for service, for ministry now some part of the, the, the last part of matthew henry 's commentary says some things that maybe we don 't like to hear in some regard, and to, he says and to prove it out of the scriptures and to confirm it both by miracles and by sufferings. Now, I know that we get a little bit nervous when we talk about miracles and sufferings. You know why, for the most part? I think it is because maybe, maybe I'm speaking for Mike now, okay? I'm just speaking of my own heart. It makes me nervous because both of them are out of my control. I can't make a miracle. And I can't avoid suffering. As much as I would like to make miracles, I can't. And as much as I would like to avoid suffering, I can't. They're both out of my control. So the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And when the power's working through me, miracles can happen. Along with the suffering that comes along with it. That I need the power of the Holy Spirit to get through. Very important that we understand that. That if I seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then am I expected to perform miracles? If I seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, am I expected to suffer? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. But here's the deal. It's not in your power to control it. So therefore, don't get bent over shape, out of shape over either one. Let God be God. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. And let Him do the heavy lifting of performing the miracles. Let Him do it. It's not about me having to figure it out because I can't figure it out. I'm a simple-minded, self-centered little man, and I can't figure miracles out. So therefore, when the power of the Holy Spirit works through me, I just have to say, I'm surrendering to this one, God. It's all about you. It's not about me. I can't figure it out. I don't understand it. I don't even understand what I'm speaking. I don't understand how you do this. But I'm submitting to your power, and your word says power will come upon you, and you will do mighty things in God's name. And Christ will be revealed and he will be glorified. So as I begin to do that, as I live my life under his authority, I can begin to walk in victory amidst the suffering that I have. And as I look at things through God's eyes, man, when I can put on God's glasses and I can see the things of my life the way God sees things in my life, it can tremendously help me understand my suffering. Tremendously understand, help me understand why I have to go through what I'm going through. Tremendously understand why miracles are necessary, yet I'm totally out of control of them, yet I can't make them. Totally understand that. So why don't miracles happen in the church every day? Why don't we see people healed from every time we pray for them? If miracles follow those that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, why don't we have healings all the time? That's a great question. When You can figure it out, tell me. Because I can't give you the answer on that completely. But I will suggest a couple things. Because I really believe that we are the limiting gating factor in many ways. The more submissive I am to godly authority in my life, the more submissive I am to men's authority in my life, godly men's authority in my life, the more that I see myself as a servant like Jesus saw himself, the more the power can flow through me. But when I look at myself as something more than I am, when I have pride well up in my life to think, no, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to submit. No, I don't want to appear like I'm a servant. No, I want to take the role of pastor, and I pastors don't do those kind of things, so I'm not going to do that. You know what I've done? I've just taken God's power out of my life because I'm not submitting to his authority. The, the way miracles happen is when I just submit to God and say, God, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. I don't have to yell. I don't have to scream. I don't have to jump up and down. I don't have to go crazy. I just say, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Do the work. You do the heavy lifting. I'm just submitting to you. I'm all in. And if you don't answer the prayer this time, that's okay. I'm all in anyways. I'm not, I'm not measuring your greatness by... Everything you do, what I tell you to do. <laughs> I'm not measuring you that way. I'm measuring you because you're God. You're King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm measuring you by that. And I'm taking you up on your promises of healing and of deliverances and so forth. And I think we can expect that. But at the same time, there are things in my life that I need to examine. And this is where it gets hard. All right? And I'm going to say some hard things now. Because this is where it's important that we need to understand that we are responsible for some things. When things don't happen in my life, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm denying the power. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us some things that are hard to hear. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5, Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Hard words. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7, They're always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth hard work. Now, let's, pre- let's read this in context, okay? Let's pick open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, and let's read what James, what, what Paul is telling Timothy. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Verse 6, They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil. Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I've read that passage numerous times and I've always put on, well I've always taken a pitchfork approach to say that's for them. <laughs> that's not for me God. Those are those really bad people out in the world. Well maybe so. Maybe I am taking this out of context today and if I am, forgive me. But I believe the Lord is telling me, Mike you have to judge yourself. You have to judge yourself. If you want the power of my son, the power of my spirit to flow through you, then you have to judge yourself because you may be the person denying the power therein. You may be learning but never able to learn. It may be me that this verse is talking about. And that puts me under fear. Am I a lover of myself? Am I a lover of money? Am I boastful? Am I proud? Is there a hint of false humility in me? Am I pride? proudful? Am I unholy? Do I, live a, do I love as I should? Am I forgiving? Do I live a life under control, meaning that my passions are subject to the passions of Christ? Am I a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God? Wow. When I read it that way, there's a lot that's coming right back at me. Therefore, if I am this, am I, I may mean, not be all of them, but I mean, if I'm one, that's enough that I would deny the power of Christ thereof. So it's important that we examine ourselves. First Corinthians chapter 11. This is the passage we often read during communion, and we often read it and we don't take it serious. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. "So then whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in the Lord in, a, of an, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ." Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning, meaning more judgment against ourselves, if we would hold ourselves more accountable, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. There's good news at the end. God's not gonna, if I judge myself, God won't have to judge me. But if I'm not willing to judge myself, then I'm only living it up to God to do the judgment. Therefore, I'm responsible to judge myself. And this is, this is the fear for me, and I'm gonna, this is the last bad passage I'm going to say. Then we'll move into the good stuff, but this must be said. Matthew chapter 7 is one of the most sobering chapters in the whole Bible for Christians. It's one of the most sobering chapters of the whole Bible. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoer. You see... It's really important that we judge ourselves. It's very important that I'm not judging you on this, and you're not judging me. I am looking at this. I'm a man in the mirror. I'm looking at my own face in the mirror, and I'm saying, Father, who am I? What am I? I want to be a righteous man before you. I want to be a forgiven person before you. And the faithfulness of the Lord is that he will forgive you, and he will make you righteous, and he will allow you to be that righteous man. The fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much, right? So I can be that man, and you can be that man, and you can be that woman, but I have to first judge myself. And when I do that now, I am releasing the power of the Holy Spirit to work through me. So as I conclude this, Jackie, would you get ready to come forward, please? This is where it's really important that we have to hear the hard things with the good things. I ran across this quote, and I've already said it to a few people because I really like it. It's really one that I'm, I, I'm, I'm living by more and more. It's a challenge to me. But I ran across this quote from author D.A. Carson. Listen to this quote. People... We do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godliness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. You see, the challenge here is that if I allow myself to think I'm something more than I am, and if I'm not progressing faithfully, diligently, intentionally, on a daily basis, I'm in risk of drifting backwards. And when I drift, I'm not drifting towards God. I'm drifting away from God. The power of the Holy Spirit is for you to help me, you and I you and me to help us avoid that drifting when the Holy Spirit comes in me he gives me the power to conquer my own flesh that's probably the number one use of that power to conquer my own flesh to beat it right Janine like we talked about to beat it with like a, like a fist like a boxer beating his flesh the power of the Holy Spirit helps us bring our own flesh under control So that I can live that victorious life. That I am not that man in chapter 7 of Matthew. That I am that man that that Jesus sees and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want. That's what I believe this church wants. That's why we're preaching and teaching and, and encouraging people to, to move into that way. And so this morning, I want to sing the song, Come, Lord Jesus. And I want us to, I want us to stand with me, if you would. I want to pray. And I just want to take the next couple minutes. It's a little bit before noon. We've got some time. And I just want to encourage us all here this morning. I know we've already had a really good time at the altar. That's really good. But I want to encourage us this morning to seek the Holy Spirit. And power and authority. And let's not be afraid of this, but let's let's seek it. Let's desire it with all of our heart. Amen. Amen. Let's sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you,
1: Jesus. Thank you. Like a rock
0: important that you understand that this is not about a man. This is not about coming up here at the front of the Center Point Church and having men pray for you. This is about you finding an opportunity to come before the Lord God Almighty. Where else do you find this in your week? Where else do you have opportunity to come and get filled by the presence of the Holy Spirit? Where else do you have it? If you're thinking you're going to get it tomorrow morning at work, you're wrong. It's not going to happen so this morning i'm not manipulating i'm just saying the facts folks we need this this church needs this you need the power of the holy spirit in your life and this is the only place you're going to get it so do not resist this do not resist what you need to do it's for your own benefit it's for your own good it's not to please me or to jackie or to make anybody feel good because you're responding to us it's not about that it's about you standing before god someday it's about you standing before your Creator someday. It's about you getting all you can of who Jesus is in your life today, so that you can stand righteously before that God, the Creator, of that day. So let's sing this again. And if you're, don't be shy. This is not about anybody besides you and Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Jesus. Thank you for this day now god and i thank you for your mercies and your grace i thank you lord how you are so powerful and you are so abundant thank you for your promises and how true they are and lord we just ask you now like we have to we give you authority in our life god to go with us throughout this day throughout this week as we go amongst our life and our jobs and our families lord we just invite you to go with us We invite you. We say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome in our life, every day, every aspect, Lord, that there's not any area that we want to keep you out, Lord. We are not. And if there is, Lord, bring it to our attention. Help us to deal with it. Help us to open up all areas of our heart to you. We give it all, Father. We're all in. We're all in. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. In
1: Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus.